everybody. Uh, this is Anna Ryan from The Overrun. I'm here today to talk a little bit about uh, mental health and EMS. Uh, we've done a couple episodes on this before, but today we're going to bring in some qualified experts. So with me today, I have Troy Longo from Let's Talk Health and Wellness and Dan Gaudette from Hackensack Meridian Health, JFK EMS. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you? Hey, hey, good. Very good. How are you? Very good. Uh, so let's do a little bit of an introduction. Troy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. So um, my name is Troy. Uh, I uh, opened a practice, a mental health practice um, last year uh, in the midst of the pandemic um, called Let's Talk Health and Wellness. Um, and the idea came really when I was going for uh, my uh, counseling uh, certifications, licenses, and things like of that nature. Um, I am a licensed professional counselor in both New Jersey and Pennsylvania. I'm also a health coach, um, it, it, which applies anywhere. Um, but uh, when I was going for my counseling program, I said, you know, I, I want to work with first responders. And the reason I had uh, really focused on that was because I myself was a first responder. I was an EMS for 30 years. Uh, I've been a certified paramedic for the last 25. Uh, I haven't been active for the last uh, five or so. Uh, and um, I, uh, you know, that's, I run my practice with a specialty in uh, working with first responders, police, fire, EMS. Uh, I've expanded to, to uh, all healthcare providers uh, because of the pandemic. Uh, and it's a virtual um, uh, practice. So uh, people can uh, talk to me at any time. Um, that works for them because uh, I know we got a lot of people that work nights and, and you know, work holidays and weekends. So um, I wanted to make it virtual. That was my idea even before the pandemic came along. I wanted to make it virtual. So that way, you know, if you're coming off of a shift and you wanted to have a conversation with me, you wouldn't have to drive to my office um, um, to see me. And the pandemic kind of helped that out, huh? And then, the, yeah, the pandemic came. My wife, my wife was like, "Why, why are we waiting to do this? Why don't we do this now?" And well, you know, our daughter is a, a is a intensive care nurse. She works on a COVID floor. You know, we're hearing from her. I was hearing from other people that were, you know, I'm still friends with in the EMS world. And I'm like, "Wow, yeah, you're right. It's time to make this make this happen." Awesome, cool, Dan. What about you? What uh, What do we have to know about you guys? So I work for Hackensack Meridian Jeff EMS. I'm the director of critical care transport and I'm a nurse. Um, but before I did that, I worked in mental health for uh, 10 years in psychiatric emergency rooms. So, um, and one of the things that strikes me as I think back about my time there is how many providers that I saw in crisis, uh, whether it was a lot of paramedics that, um, that they couldn't achieve balance or nurses also. And these are people that probably, that, you know, based on what they've seen and what they've experienced, they couldn't achieve balance in their life and be able to have a productive life and be um, productive providers. And uh, so I'm very excited to, uh, to be working on this program with Anna and Troy as far as to try to help other providers find that balance and be able to be great people as well as great providers. So question for the both of you, we're just going to kind of pose it to the group. What exactly is mental health? I think mental health is, is an ability. I, I look at my life and I look at other people's as far as is trying to find, as I mentioned before, balance. So you have, you know, we all know the great provider um, that uh, it has a, just a hor horrible home life because what we see and what we do 
affects um, what we see and what we do professionally affects our home and vice versa. Sometimes what we, you know, bad things that we're going through our home affects how we have, how we provide. And I think, so mental health is providing that balance and it comes in a couple different ways. Um, but the most important thing to me as far as with mental health is understanding yourself and having great emotional intelligence. So you know when things are not well. And you can understand, hey, I got upset because of this, or hey, um, you know, I did poorly in this situation because I felt this. And I think by achieving, by understanding better, um, that actually helps mental health. And that's how I see mental health is, is just trying to always achieve a balance. Yeah, I, I like that word balance. You know, when, as soon as Anna asked the question, that was the first word that comes to mind. And yeah, I, I think balance is so important and, and particularly in, in EMS work. Um, because the work itself and the, uh, you know, everything about it is, is so unbalanced. Um, but, you know, really mental health uh, in a, on a holistic level, I look at mental health is, you know, how you get up on a, on a day-to-day basis. How do you live your life and think about living your life and thinking about um, uh, uh, how you address life in general, whether that's um, the good things, which we all hope and strive for, as well as, you know, the, the bad things that might come up. And let's face it, um, it comes up for everybody. Uh, for EMS people, it could come up a lot more because, you know, you're not getting called for the good things nine times out of 10. So you're, the expectation is, is that, you know, you're going to be called for something that has got um, some real significance in somebody else's life. And by default, is going to have some real significance, uh, in your life. So, you know, balancing that out about, okay, this is what I do for a living. I'm a EMT, I'm a paramedic, I'm a police officer, you know, I'm a firefighter. I see these things. Um, how do I, you know, mental health for me, you know, there's a, there's a, we all know when we go to work, we, we are different, right? We're, we're, we're our work selves. And then when we come home, we're uh, somebody else. And it's about, you know, maintaining mental health, um, is about having balance in all those areas. Uh, if, if I may, I just want to touch on one thing that George just said, which I totally agree with. Is that sure. we we only see the bad things, and we don't realize that there's a whole. Sometimes I think we lose track of the fact that probably there's a whole thing. Probably more than ninety percent of all healthcare is actually good things, where people are getting better and people are improving. But unfortunately, you know, in emergency medicine and emergency EMS, we only see the bad things. We see things at the bad, at the worst time, and we don't have the uh, ability often to follow up to find out that that bad thing that we that we saw actually, in the long run, the patient turned out well, or things like that. I remember years ago when I was working in psychiatric emergency rooms a lot, and all I was seeing was kids that were in such turmoil. I went to the mall and I watched children just run around. And I sat there for 20 minutes just to look at normal children. And I think that that's one of the things I think we get such a jaded view of society because we only see such small portion of it that's really in the worst times. Um, But there are so much, there's so much more out there. And it's um, unfortunately, that's not what we see. So is that the only way that you think that uh, EMS providers are affected is like it jades our view or are there other ways that we're affected in our lives? I, I don't think it's um, the only way. Um, I think that that's a, a big component of it. I think the other component is the personalities that get involved in EMS. Um, they're type A, they're go-getters, they're very motivated and they're, they're uh, to, which is a benefit, but also to their detriment, they're perfectionists. 
Uh, we're gonna win at death, right? We're gonna we're gonna win, right? You we're know, gonna win at healing. Yeah, we we've all seen the commercial. I mean the uh, the cartoon, you know, where where the the guy is trying to reach for the gates of heaven, and there are the paramedics pulling him back, and you know, God's looking down, going, "Those damn paramedics," um, you know, and, and we take that to heart. It's just who we are. So um, we because of that, we we not intentionally, but we tend to forget that this is the practice of medicine. Sometimes what we do works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and um, when it doesn't, we can really be hard on ourselves. Okay, what could I have done differently? And again, there's good, there's a good to review what happened, especially after a real bad call. Um, we have to remember not to be hard on ourselves uh, and say, you know, I, it's so easy for us to say, oh my gosh, I should have done this, or I should have been quicker at this, or it's, it's okay to, to review, a, a, especially a, a bad assignment and or, or assignment that had a bad outcome and say, you know what, I did the best that I could. And despite that, the result wasn't what I wanted. And, um, um, learning to be okay with that, which is difficult. Dan, what do you think? I, I, I agree. I agree a lot. Of, uh, I agree with everything Troy just said. Um, I, I think, uh, but that comes again with what I was saying before is we don't always see the good outcomes because although we have ones that are bad, we have amazing outcomes. We just don't know about them. And so I don't know if we always get that positive feedback um, that we deserve. And I think that, that um, shades us a little bit. But I think it's more than, I think it's, you know, is where your original question, I think it has to do a lot. It has to do with what we see. It has to do with our lifestyles. It has to do with having to live uh, in a situation where you work two jobs all, all the time and you don't get a break. I think all those things uh, contribute. Yeah, I, I, um, I agree with that. I, I think that, you know, we, we talked about balance when we asked about mental health and this, the job itself can be so unbalancing. You're working 12 hour shifts, you're going from one place to the other. So it's really a 24 hour shift. Um, and then you're coming home and taking care of family or the house or, you know, doing whatever. And, and, uh, you know, we're working two or three jobs and those jobs, the jobs themselves of being an EMT or a paramedic are very demanding. And then there's the training and the, you know, the, everything that comes along with it, uh, that, um, you know, adds to the time and the commuting and, and uh, if you don't live close to your work and it really just adds up and it takes away it, it you know, you, you t if you talk about the scales, all that is on one side and it's, it's down on the bottom or near the bottom. And then there's the other stuff. And um, that, that really adds balance to our life, like our family and, and, and downtime, good quality sleep and, and healthy, uh, eating or exercising and healthy living in general, those things are on the other side and they're taking a hit because those are generally the first things to go. That really, and all those things, by the way, impact. It's not just what we see. It's, it's what we do to protect ourselves um, and protect our mental health. health. Getting a, a, a good night's sleep. And again, that's different for for uh, EMS people, particularly if they're working nights, because now the circadian rhythm is off. You know, what you're putting into your body, there's an old commercial, you know, you guys might remember it, you are what you eat, right? Well, you know, if you're working midnights and you stop at Wawa and you pick up, you know, whatever from there, nine times out of 10, you're picking up the quick and easy and it's probably not healthy for you, right? So, um, you know, your body is using that to uh, help fend off stress. 
repeated uh, exposure to stress. And if you're, you know, if you're putting poor quality product in, you're going to get uh, a poor response to, or a poor response to stress. Um, and that, you know, those are things that play a role in maintaining balance and mental health, as well as, um, you know, when you don't, um, when you don't have a, a good balance in mental health. So we know that what we do is stressful and how we respond to that as providers is not exactly the best. Um, so why do you think we're not talking about this more? I mean, like the, the topic has come up a bunch and it's a little bit more in the spotlight now, but like it's been decades uh, of, of providers who are going through high stress situations and not actually talking about it. So why do you think that is? You know, this is a generational problem. This is something we're going to be able to turn around overnight. And the idea of uh, the just suck it up attitude, and that's the way we need to do, I think is in most places that I've seen and talked to a lot of people, that that's no longer acceptable. So I think that we're moving from, from a place where we didn't talk about it at all to now where we're talking about some to hopefully in the future, five, 10 years, where, where it's completely open. Um, you know, I think some of it comes with our type A personalities that we have. You know, we're strong and we're too strong for this stuff to happen. But, you know, it's as I talk to more and more providers, it's the strongest ones that actually sit down and tell me the most horrifying stories of how this job has affected their lives. So I think as we have more forums like this, and I think every, you know, having people and anybody that's listening to this or one of the people that's going to, or the people that are going to help um, talk about it more and help reduce the stigma, but it just takes time. Yes. Uh, you know, somebody had asked me, I, you know, like I'd mentioned in the, you know, when we first started this, that, you know, I thought about this back in 2009 when I was going, you know, started my, my schooling for counseling and somebody had, had made a comment to me like, Oh, look, they're out there doing it. You, you missed your chance. I'm like, not even close. Um, I, I, and you know what, if I did miss my chance, that would be okay. You know, cause that would mean that, you know, the system, you know, is, is either fixed or working towards being fixed. And I think that we're just at the stages we're, we're taking the rust off the wheels, Dan, you know, like you had said, the, the good old boys were, that's it. We're, we're you know, just suck it up and, and, and deal with it. Um, I, it's still present. I think that um, it's got to shift and it's got to shift everywhere. And I'm seeing movement in that, that, you know, um, leadership is saying, okay, we can't, we can't keep doing the same thing over and over again um, because we're, you know, we're grinding people down to the ground and they're not getting back up again. You we're know, we've seen, them. yeah, we're losing them. And I think people, less people are getting into this field for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I completely caught me off guard when I started my counseling program was the, the first day they talked about self-care and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think in all my years of EMS, never even heard that term, right? Why not? Why haven't we heard that term? Um, and now we're beginning to hear it. Um, and, you know, I, I know that, you know, a lot of the focus uh, has initially been on uh, uh, the, the bad assignments, the, the assignments that could lead to some type of traumatic uh, um, uh disorder uh, or injury, but, um, you know, we're also now beginning to hear, how do we make, how do we help um, as we're training people, how do we help them um, to succeed in this career for 30 years? Because the people that, 
or 40 years or 50 years, depending on how young they are. Um, and the people that are most successful are the ones that are able to take a step back. And Dan, like you said, say, hey, I can't do this alone. I got to go talk to somebody. Uh, and they're saying, okay, I know it's, you know, I'm working with somebody who's been doing this for, you know, 50 years or a little bit cranky. And, you know, they're, they're, they're like, yeah, well, you know, well, we're, we're going to go to Wawa and we're going to eat potato chips for dinner and Diet Coke. And then afterwards we're, you know, we're going to go to choir practice and, you know, that's the way I handle it. Right. And, um, uh, you know, and, and I'm not saying anything bad, you know, I mean, listen, we're going to do that on occasion. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing that after every shift, Right. And if you're feeding yourself, you know, potato chips and, and, you know, fast food for dinner, then your ability to maintain um, yourself and at peak performance mentally and physically is going to be severely hampered. So I think that, you know, getting the word out there like we're doing now is really the first step um, in, in managing, you know, people's mental health and, and supporting it. I think that's probably a better word of supporting it. I think also that, um, yes, we focus, like Troy said, we focus on the bad calls, but I think the realization and talking more about the fact that it's not just the bad calls, it's the accumulation of calls. Yeah. It's, it's, it's 10 calls that maybe all weren't so bad, but to all together uh, have a larger effect or, you know, the multiple, multiple um, bad, really bad calls. You know, you, you can handle one and you can handle that moment, but can you handle six months of it? And that I think as we have a better understanding of that and a better understanding of the effect of that, it also, I think that resonates with a lot of people as I talk to more people and they, and we talk about not just the one bad call and we, you know, listen to EMS, we love to tell our war stories. And so you have the one yeah. bad call that affected you, but how did the next 10 calls affect you? Right. And, and that, um, that frustration manifests in a lot of different ways uh, or the effects of the, those 10 calls. And I think as we, recognize more and we understand more, then that will also help reduce the stigma. No, I, I'd like to say also too, um, I mean, there's, there's a stigma around mental health and getting mental health assistance um, it, for a lot of people. It's not just EMS responders. Although I'd say that it's, you know, because of the types of personalities that we're talking about generally, you know, first responders and EMS folks are like, nope, not doing it right. Um, they they have the capacity to do this uh, as simply as turning to their partner and saying, hey, I'm not dealing with this so well. And a lot of times they do that. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not that they're not doing this, you know, especially if you've got somebody that you've been working with for a long time and, and you know, you've, you've developed a, uh, a relationship beyond the workplace. These are people that oftentimes they, you know, they can turn and do that. And if that's helping them um, and that's what they need, all they need, great. Um, it's about, you know, then allowing for that to continue to happen. And then both people saying, maybe it's not the, the person, you know, that turns and says, Hey, I'm, I think I'm having a problem with this. Uh, that, that, that says something, maybe it's the partner that says, Hey, I'm a little concerned. I want, I, I, I why don't we talk about this? And, 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 and then saying, you know what, I, this is way above my pay grade. Uh, maybe we should go talk to somebody um, and, and get you some help on a more consistent basis, you know, something like that. So the, the, obviously the skills are there. I mean, we've got very, very hardworking, intelligent people um, that we're talking about uh, in EMS. And it's, it's just a question of, you know, 
they they're already doing this to some degree by turning to their partners and maybe their spouses or whoever. And now it's about if needed, taking it to the next step and saying, Hey, I'm already doing this, but maybe I need to do it with somebody who can take me a little bit further along. I, so, I just want to focus. I'm sorry. One thing about partners, which I think is really, really important is that if you're going through stress and you're going through uh, struggles from uh, the job and the stress of it, and then maybe PTSD, sometimes it's difficult for us to know that we're in it, we're drowning and we don't realize that we're drowning. And I yeah. think to on, to have partners or have leaders or have other professionals who you know, we work with to look at somebody and take them aside and go, Hey, are you okay? You know, I notice things are, you know, not going well for you. I notice that you're being more short. I notice that you're having a frustrating time that you seem to be struggling more. And that realization to have somebody so strong enough and brave enough to come out to somebody else to say, Hey, listen, I, I'm here for you. What can the, you know, how, you know, how are things going? That also can help tremendously because we don't always know when we're in the thick of it, that we're as bad as we are. Yeah. Or that, you know. Yeah. So we, we need, our partner has to be our, our, you know, our eyes and ears. Sorry. Anna. Yeah. Partners. Are, no, it's okay. It's, partners are incredibly valuable. And I think that there's, as our first resource, especially because of like the type of personality that we deal with is that, you know, we are, um, we have to be comfortable in order to talk about this. Mm -hmm. So let's talk to the one provider or the provider who thinks there may be something wrong. Let's talk to uh, that and, and tell them how these kinds of mental injuries kind of start to manifest. There are some obvious things, right? You know, you're exposed to trauma, repeatedly exposed to some type of traumatic event. Um, uh, and then there's some other uh, things that maybe are not, they're not really thought about on the forefront, you know, um, you know, what's happening outside of work, right? Um, that could be um, decreasing your ability to, uh, to cope, right? Um, are, are we, are you having marital problems? Are you, um, and those could be manifestations of some type of traumatic uh, event. But um, a lot of times, you know, people are not so open to uh, or they're not aware, I should say, of, of, you know, how their home life or their life outside of EMS is affecting them. So in general, um, um, you know, we'll, and, and it's different for everybody. A lot of it depends on, you know, who, who, you know, what kind of fortitude they have already, what their past experiences are. And that's why I bring that up um, is, you know, do, are they coming into EMS maybe a little bit more stressed out or prone to, to, uh, get having a traumatic injury, but, you know, um, uh, change in, in behavior, change in attitude, um, somebody who might normally be an upbeat type person, you know, a change in, in attitude. It could be somebody who's that normally upbeat, um, you know, coming in, who's a little bit more grumpy. Um, and, uh, or, uh, there's a increased use of substances or a start of use of substances. Um, it could be, uh, change in sleep habits, which are, are, can be difficult to, uh, to really be aware of. I mean, partners won't know that, but, you know, um, if somebody's suddenly having a hard time sleeping, uh, when before it wasn't an issue or they're, they're sleeping too much, like they're not doing anything when they're off work except sleeping. Um, you know, you could see a change. They're coming in like super tired or they're like, you know, coming, yeah, coming in super tired all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like there's never enough sleep. Um, their, their work quality, uh, could decline. Um, and on the flip side of that, sometimes, 
there's uh, there's more of a need uh, to um, be perfect. If somebody has experienced an event um, and they feel like it's their fault, um, now suddenly it's, I got to do better. I got to do right. And it goes above and beyond the, well, what can I learn from that? And how do I improve myself? It's the, you know, the, the anxious, no, we got to do this. It's, it's, you know, it's got to be done this way. And right now, or, you know, um, just really um, a loss of flexibility. I got like a hyper practice almost. Yeah. Hyper vigilant uh, about the practice as well as just hyper vigilance in general um, becomes uh, could become an issue. Um, uh, so many to choose from. I'm trying to think of what, you know, what else to put out there. Um, and again, these are just examples um, you know, relationships they can they can pull back from from both activities and relationships that normally fed them uh, and kept them healthy. Um, those are things that you can you can see. Their eating habits can change. You know, from you know really caring about their their physical health and working out and eating healthy to not working out and and um, uh, you know just eating whatever is put in front of them or not eating at all. You know, so you know, there's you know. A lot of things that you can, you can see being quiet, you know, Dan had mentioned it earlier, you know, like somebody looking at somebody else going, Hey, you okay. You're, you're a little off. Um, you know, that could be somebody snapping when they're not typically the type to snap first, or it could be somebody who's, you know, lose you a little bit more talkative like myself. Um, you can't shut me up and you know, my partner you would look at me and say, Hey, all right. You're not very talking very much. Like something, you know, something's wrong when Troy's not talking. <laughs> hey everybody, we're going to take a quick break here to share with you another one of Dr. Peter Antevi's Pediatric Pearls, exclusively on The Overrun. Hope you learned something. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Peter Antevi with another Pediatric Pearl. I wanna talk about fluid administration rapidly in children. In the pre-hospital setting, people, when they're only five, 10, 15 minutes away from the hospital, will say, I'm just gonna hang this bag and let it roll right in, or I'm gonna squeeze the bag, pressure bag. That is absolutely not the way to do that, especially a child who is in compensated shock, who's on their way to decompensated shock. Kids need fluids fast. So how do you do that? What we teach is using a three-way stopcock and using a syringe that's not too big. So if you've never done this before, you have a three-way stopcock, one, one side's going to the patient, one side's going to the IV bag. And then on the third aspect, you have your syringe. So you basically turn the three-way stopcock off to the patient. You pull the syringe. It drains from the bag right into the syringe. You turn the three-way stopcock the other way open to the patient and you squeeze in and then you go back and forth. We call that push-pull. If, however, you use a 60 ml syringe, it's very hard to squeeze that fluid through a 24-gauge catheter. So we would recommend a 10 or 20 cc syringe, but think of how many times back and forth you have to give that fluid. And that's why people hate this method. We have moved to using a device called the Life Flow, no conflict of interest there for me, but in our hospitals now, we are able to quickly give, I can give 500 cc's in like a minute or two uh, in a very safe way. So the lesson to learn here is don't be lazy and just say, I'm five minutes away because that kid will become hypotensive and go into cardiac arrest. If you're going to know how to do this, pull out the three-way stopcock, learn how to do this so you're not doing it in front of mom and dad for the first time. But I'm very big on fluid resuscitation, doing it right, doing it in the field, and not waiting for the people at the hospital to do it. 
This has been Dr. Peter Antevi with another Pediatric Pearl. That was Dr. Peter Antevi with another Pediatric Pearl on the overrun. And now back to the show. So let's uh, let's dive into a little bit more of the substance abuse side of things. This could be anything. Yeah. Like, yeah, like more like caffeine all the way through. We've had, you know, lots of like horror stories of paramedics who have like changed out morphine for saline um, who, you know, pop positive on whatever drug tests they're doing. Like what is, we know that that's a, that's a self numbing act. Is that also a stress response or is that something that we only see in certain personality types? Um, I think some more people are pro could be prone to it. Um, they call it the addictive type personality. Um, I think that generally, you know, uh, it, you might go home and have a drink, right? And it, it kind of numbs and uh, you feel good. And then, you know, you do that one night and then you're doing it the next night. And then before you know it, it's like, okay, I need more. You know, two drinks turns into four, turns into six, turns into eight. Um, and it's, uh, um, it becomes an addiction, right? I need more because um, mentally what's happening is, is that, uh, uh, they're trying to just forget, right? Um, it, physically, when it becomes an addiction, uh, particularly with certain substances, you know, like alcohol, for example, the body says, I want that now. Um, you know, I mean, any of the, the, the addictive um, uh, substances will lead to that. Um, but um, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's a way to numb um, yeah, some people can go home and say, you know, all right, I have a, I had a glass of wine or a beer or you know, a drink, and or maybe go out and with their coworkers and do that, and they get up the next day and 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 they go to work and they they live their lives, and it's it's just a, a one off type of thing. Um, when it becomes a regular occurrence, and like you had mentioned, it's suddenly you're smoking um, cigarettes or you're eating carbs. You know, the body um, when it is under stress. Um, one of the, one of the things that it, uh, it strives is it's, it's, it needs connection. Um, it needs connection, um, from those other people, not even necessarily to talk, uh, about the event, um, but just to be connected to other people. And, and, you know, like we had mentioned earlier, um, a lot of times people will pull into themselves, they'll disconnect from people. And, um, when the body doesn't get that connection, it craves carbohydrates. So, you know, one of the addictions that you know, causes a lot of problems, um, it, it could be carbohydrate. Could be now you're eating sweets all the time. Um, and you could have multiple addictions. Suddenly you're smoking, drinking, and eating tons of carbs, right? Um, because that, those carbs give you that spike in energy um, and you feel like, okay, I can get through the day now, right? Like, okay, good, I'm good. But it, it quickly... Then there's a spike in insulin, it quickly drops and it becomes this up and down, um, you know, riding the wave type of thing. Um, so what about the adrenaline junkie? I think that all of us to a degree, have kind of got that in us, right? You know, you've got that good call, uh, what you might define as a good call. And you're like, not that somebody's suffering and yeah, that's good, but it's like somebody's suffering and I'm there to help them and take care of them. Right. And that causes a little bit of a spike. And at the same time, um, you know, and this is healthy. There's a fear. What happens if I can't? What happens if I don't, you know, help them? 
you know, so there's, it, there's a healthy fear associated with it um, that, you know, there's like, Woo, okay, there we go. We've got this. Let's do this. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do these skills and these skills are going to help this person survive. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, that, that is, I think, just part of, <laughs> part of the EMS culture. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, now, obviously, if, if after that, they're now faced with this um, down or depressive type state because they're not dealing with that, then that's a health, that's a, an issue that has to be addressed. Dan and I have talked about this a couple of times where we have the uh, provider who has a couple of traumatic calls or just like a little bit more burnt out or they're having some trouble at home and they find that joy in uh, you know, helping someone survive and we're going to do these skills and this person's going to live because of us. So they, they use the job as a, as a way of getting away from those problems. So I think that's more like what I was like looking for is that the, like there's the adrenaline junkie and then there's the guy who is hiding from whatever it is that's going on ahead by helping people. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're, I think in EMS, and this is part of the type A personality, right? It's, it's that we want to be in control. Um, and we're in control when we're at work and maybe we're not at home. Um, and like you said, you know, is it a, is it a question of avoidance? Is it a question of, I feel like I'm out of control and I'm going to go to work and work extra hours. So that way I feel like I can be in control. And that's a double-edged sword, right? I mean, we got a lot of control as to how we're going to treat somebody and, and, and things of that nature. That doesn't necessarily guarantee the outcome, right? Um, and, you know, we want the outcome to be good. And when it doesn't, sometimes that backfires because we're, you know, we're there trying to gain control and we only have a certain amount of control. And we have to recognize where our control starts and stops and where it's up to you know, what is going to happen. Um, as far as the, the avoiding thing, if there are troubles at home or something like that, um, you know, it's something that has to be addressed. I mean, it's kind of the theme, right? We talk about the stigma. People want to avoid um, addressing things that need to be addressed sometimes. And, um, and that just makes it worse. It just, it just grows and manifests into something worse. Dan, do you have anything to add to that? I think we're going back to the initial part about substance abuse is that, you know, if you don't have good mental health and you're not, and you have a proclivity to an, uh, an addiction, whether it's carbohydrates or drugs, um, you're not strong enough to fight that addiction off. You know, we, we've all started, we've all, every one of us has had that diet that we're like, oh, we're going to start a diet. And the next day we're just run down and we reach for that candy bar because we're yeah. run down because we're tired because we haven't met, we, we not, we're not strong enough. And I think that, um, you know, we're not, and let me rephrase that, not that we're not strong enough that we can never be that way down enough that at that point we have a moment of weakness that we can't recover from. And I think uh, that's part of it, that we need to, um, we need to look at it in a way that, um, you know, having, being good, having mental, good at mental health, be able to have resilience to bounce back from what we deal with every day in our job will help us to ha lead healthier lives, but also help us to fight off some of the addictions that we have. And as far as adrenaline junkies, I, I think we're all adrenaline junkies. That's partially why I think a lot of the people get into this, this business. They like it. They like the lights and sirens. They like to be able to be the hero. Uh, we joke about being the hero, but a lot of them, that's, 
you know, it's a, it's a good feeling when you've gone and you've helped somebody tremendously. It really is. It's a tremendous feeling. And there's, there's, there's something great about that, but I think we have to balance that in a way. So, or at least, uh, admit that, yes, we have this and then be able to uh, figure out how to balance that so that it doesn't affect everything else that we do and all other aspects of our lives. Yeah. All right. So we talk a lot about, you know, conditions and I'm like, so there's, there's the big red letter words where like, you know, everyone wants to be resilient. So that's a big red letter. And then the other ones are, you know, everyone has PTSD. So let's talk a little bit about what PTSD actually is and how we would go about managing it. Yeah. Well, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, like it sounds, it's a, it's, a traumatic event that is somebody was either a part of uh, or witnessed, um, and it causes uh, an exor- an amount of stress that the body, you know, the crisis system in our bodies can't handle. Right, so um, you know, somebody can directly experience the traumatic event, uh, witnessing it, um, learning about it. Right, you know, you learn about a traumatic event that happened to somebody else, not necessarily being present. Um, but learning about a traumatic event, uh, to a close family member or friend, um, so all and, those war uh, stories aren't great. Um, I, I think the war story is a little bit different, but it, but you're right. It, it can, for some people, it can be, you know, they don't, uh, especially if they're a part of it, right. They're part of that war story. They may not want to, this may not be healthy for them. Um, you know, and then experiencing repeated uh, exposure to, to either the details of that, um, uh, that particular event. And, you know, you're going out there and re-exposing yourself every time. I just had a pediatric cardiac arrest and now, Hey, we've got something else across town and, and, you know, you're still thinking about it and, Oh, there you get there. And it's another pediatric cardiac arrest. Well, thankfully it doesn't happen that often, but you know, um, you're, you're, you're constantly being exposed to it. So, you know, for post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, these are, that's, you know, what precipitates that type of, or that uh, diagnosis. Hey, Troy, do you think that like, as you, you bring up pediatric cardiac arrests and, you know, we're hit out for so many and then we show up and they're not, but even being hit out, like if you've had a traumatic, uh, uh, or if you've done a pediatric cardiac arrest and it was traumatic for you, uh, as it would be for almost anyone, um, but you just now you've been hit out for him. It doesn't not even that it goes there and it is, but you're just hit out for him. Doesn't the anxiety there and the and the stress of all that doesn't does not play a role in it? Absolutely. Uh, even if you didn't experience a pediatric cardiac arrest, it it's. I mean, you, now you're you get that assignment. You know, it's a it's dispatch as a pediatric cardi- pediatric cardiac arrest. You're prepping yourself right, and you've got that nervous anxiety and you know like most ems providers will do just about anything and there's very few of us that say yeah i want i i like working with pediatrics we're all like oh gosh not pediatrics right for a variety of reasons right and um so yeah as soon as that you get hit out for that wow that stress starts right away and if you're being hit out like you said dan numerous times thankfully they're not you know you're showing up and there's something else right usually it's a seizure um but, uh, but, but still it's, it's that, it's that fight or flight response that's kicked in. And that has such a, an, a negative impact because the flight, the fight or flight response is expecting physical activity, 
right? And when we when we're being hit out for this, and we go there and 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 it's not, we're thankful. And at the same time, the body's not getting the physical activity. So there's you know there's you know negative manifestations that come from that physically and mentally. So once we have this diagnosis, is this something that we can treat, or are we just like damaged now? Now we're 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 not. You know. I, it, everything is treatable. It, 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 you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that. First of all, it's recognizing, Hey, something's, something's not right with me. Um, and that might, you know, we'd all like it to be us saying, well, there's something not right with me, but sometimes we need a little help from our partners or our loved ones and say, you know, I'm noticing something. And it's about whoever's hearing that being open to saying, yeah, I'm not feeling so right myself. And then getting to, um, uh, getting to a, a, a mental health professional, getting an assessment, you know, and, and, you know, they do the assessment and, and, and say, okay, we're, we're, you know, you, we, you think we have PTSD. Okay. So generally, and, and, you know, the treatment varies and the success, the success varies, but the success, it's two things. Uh, first is the rapport with, um, with the, the counselor. Uh, and second, and this is really the most important is, you know, are you willing to do the work? It's not going to be easy, right? It's, you know, especially with the PTSD um, and any other trauma, you're, you're, what you're really, it's about addressing the PTSD and the feelings that come, I mean, the, the event and what and the feelings that come with it and recognizing that it's an event that happened in the past. It's not happening now for, for people who have PTSD. A lot of the, the manifestations of that, um, and the signs and symptoms are they feel like they're re-experiencing that event um, over and over and over again. So it's about, okay, you're, you're not in that event anymore. It's about let's, you know, addressing that. And then about taking, you know, giving them back some control and saying, okay, that was, that's a part of your past. There's nothing we can do about the past. It's, it's cement, but you know, here's where we are, uh, you know, counseling on a, typically it's on a weekly basis. Some people would, you know, uh, do good um, with medication. Um, to go along with, with the counseling. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be forever, but just some medication to address some really severe signs and symptoms that they might be dealing with. Um, if, they're, if they are um, uh, using substances, about getting off the substances, because that's not, you know, that's going to impact treatment um, and it's not really going to allow them to, you know, they're going to be dealing with, you know, two different issues. They're all related, but they're dealing with, okay, the substance, um, which is in the room with you when you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with. And then there's, you know, the, the P, whatever caused the PTSD and, you know, you need to address the substance stuff uh, oftentimes um, alongside, if not beforehand. And yes, it can be cured. It's something that people at, and it could take some time. A lot of it depends on the person involved, you know, the, the event and the person um, it can take some time. Um, uh, the sooner you get involved in, in finding help, the better off you are. Um, so, you know, you may not, you know, people don't have to know if they got PTSD or not. Um, there's a criteria that has to be met to be diagnosed with that. But if they realize you, something's not right. I, and it's not helping me talking to my loved ones. I think I need something more, you know, finding help and starting to talk about it. Cause the sooner you meet with a, a mental health clinician and the, you know, the better off you are. Hey, Troy, um, what would you think? I mean, do you think there's would it be better to describe the uh, PTSD treatment as eventually that you're cured or that it's a constant, it's a new reality and you're constantly treating it? 
So yes, you're going to get better. Your symptoms are going to get a, a lot less, but it's still there, but you have to constantly be aware and, and treat it. That's a good you know, question. I'm trying to think of a more of a medical analogy. Yeah. Like, I, I, I hate to say medical, but I was thinking like a more of a medical analogy so that people would understand. Is it more like, uh, you know, like a, is it more like a Mercer or, you know, which you, we treat and it goes away, but it could flare up again if we don't, if we're not on top of it, watch it. Or is it more like, uh, you know, something that like a, a simple infection that goes away and is away forever? I don't, I don't know that there's a clear cut answer to that. Um, you know, somebody who's, who's uh, had PTSD, you know, you, you, and they've gone through treatment and they're done and they feel better. And they're the ones that really have to decide gee, this has worked for me. I, I've done my work and I'm, you know, I'm moving on from treatment. Um, but if they, you know, somebody like that, they might be more susceptible. Um, anybody who's got a traumatic experience in the past is more susceptible to, to PTSD. So it's something that you know, most likely these, these folks are going to be more susceptible to it. However, on the flip side of that, now you're somebody who's gone through treatment, who has got more tools in the toolbox um, and a, a higher level of awareness that can say, oh, wait a minute, something's happening here. So you know, with that in mind, they might be back into counseling sooner and saying, Hey, I want to, you know, I want to talk to you. I just had an event and I, you know, before it gets to where it could be, um, or where it was before I want to nip this in the bud. So, um, you know, mental health, we don't really talk about cures. Um, it's about, you know, managing it and, and, and tools for it, you know, um, but at the same time, you know, if, if people have, have come in and, and done the work they feel they need to do, you know, it's not, it's some, a lot of times it's something that doesn't, that doesn't really, it's, it might be there. They might be aware of it, but it's something that they're managing. So anybody else around them wouldn't know it. Like they're like, oh, oh wait a minute, I got this going on. And they, you know, they take part in, you know, whatever ritual they, they go to yoga, maybe two day extra day a week, or, or they go speak to somebody or they, you know, whatever it is, they know they have a better understanding when they're done getting treatment as to, you know, you know, what they're dealing with and, and what is successful for them, what does not work for them, and what's is something, and the triggers, you know, what they can look for to say, oh, wait a minute, I have something going on that maybe I need to address in, in some way. And just so like one the other thought, I'm, I'm sorry, one, just one other thought based on what you were saying before about medicine, and seems to me that, that, um, that there's a stigma, there's stigma about mental health, and then there's another stigma about uh, any psychiatric medication. Um, but, but I always found, I mean, studies, and you can tell me that I used to read a lot were that basically if you had therapy and medicine that gave you the best result to getting to a, a healthier, uh, mental health, the, the, basically the, the therapy is strong and it does, and it will solve the long-term issues. The medicine can be like a short-term, uh, fix because it can work faster than therapy, but it's not going to actually solve a problem. Yes. Um, it, it's, uh, you're right about the stigma around medicine. And, and, you know, oftentimes I say, well, if, you know, if you, if you had diabetes, would you not take insulin? Oh no, that's okay. Or if you had a heart problem, would you not take, you know, uh, uh you know, nitro or high blood pressure? Would you not take, you know, yeah, you know, things like, oh no, that's fine. But so it's, it's just, a it's a tool, you know, and medicine is a tool. You have to know how to use it. And like you said, Dan, um, you know, generally if somebody needs medicine, it, it works better going alongside counseling. And just like if somebody's in counseling um, and, you know, I mean, I don't prescribe medicine. I'm a, I'm a licensed professional counselor. I'm not a psychiatrist. Um, so I can't, but um, if I have somebody, I look and say, gee, we're not, you know, 
after my assessment and, and, and sessions with them, I go, wow, I think medicine, you know, might be helpful. I talk about it with my clients and talk about, you know, there's only, you know, there's really only so much you can do if, and medicine might be the additional step that gets you over that hump so that way we can continue the work, right? And, and if they don't want to take the medicine, that's their choice. But I'm very open and honest about what I think the likelihood is for them if they're dealing with an issue um, that the medicine would be helpful. I, I can't, you know, if somebody's having a chemical imbalance, right, um, that's making them depressed, um, I, I, can't, I can't talk the chemical imbalance away. I can talk, I can give them tools to, to, you know, you know, my approach is, is a reality therapy, which is a cognitive behavioral approach. So, you know, generally the, the approach is what we think leads to how we behave. So if, if our thinking is skewed, right. Um, and our, our schema is more towards the depressive or anxiety, it's about addressing that and, and moving it away to something else. It's about changing the lens or the filter that they look at it through. Uh, we can do that through talk therapy, but if there's something going on, that's, you know, causing a, a, a chemical imbalance, um, then we're only going to go so far. So. So let's also dive into a little bit of that uh, side of things is I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe at least that the presence of stigma is usually due to have due to like things being unknown. Right. So if I want to get therapy, but like the only concept that I have of talk therapy is like what I've seen in movies or <laughs> like it's old timey kind of like lay on a couch and someone takes notes and not, like, you know, from like the 50s or something along those lines. And I'm not going to pursue that. So right. when we say someone should get help or should like, you know, talk to someone or something along those lines, what does that actually look like? Yeah. And, and you know, this is a. a um it's a great question and somewhat tough to answer because, um, you know, there's so many counselors out there and they all take a different approach and, and they all have a different personality. And let's be clear, our, our personalities play a role in it. Um, so, um, you know, I, I like, I like, you know, you mentioned the TV thing, like what they see in TV and movies. It's I, what I'd say to somebody about that is, is that, yeah, it's, it's no different than when you're watching TV or a movie and the paramedics come in and do something and you're like, what are they we don't do that. Right. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Right. I mean, to, to, to a large degree. Um, and again, you can't, you can't necessarily know because um, uh, you know, everybody's different, but in general, uh, in general, the, the, the counseling session, and I, if you want, I can go into specifically how I do it. Um, sure. I, I, my approach is this, and, and this is the reason why I named the business what I did, you know, let's talk, let's just talk. I don't want, I mean, I, I mean, obviously there's a professional relationship I'm developing with people. We're not buddies. We're not going to get together and have a beer afterwards. And, and we're not going to talk war stories. Um, but I want you to be able to come to me and be comfortable and talk. And, and research has shown that in counseling, it's the rapport that is built. So because of my years in EMS, you know, I have a very you know, straightforward approach. Generally in counseling, you know, there, some of the things that I say and do, they're like, oh, you know, the, you know if I, my instructors knew this, they'd be like, oh my God. Well, you know what? It works because I have people coming to me and saying, yeah, let's talk about this. You know, people in a world where the stigma is there. I have people from all walks of, or all sorts of first responder world and healthcare world who may not talk to people um, because they're thinking like they're going to sit on the couch. And, and I even use this in my introduction. You sit on the couch and somebody's behind you going, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how does it make you feel? Well, if somebody did that to me after I just told you how it made me feel, I'd be pretty upset. Like, what do you mean? Were you listening? Would you do fall asleep? Like, I, I just told you how I felt, right? 
Um, now, there's, there's a different way to go about doing that, to deepen around what somebody just said, to get a better understanding. And I want an understanding, but we, we know what we think when we hear what we say. That's the beauty of talk therapy. As somebody, as somebody is talking to me about what's going on in their life, they're list, hopefully they're listening to themselves and, and I'm guiding and asking questions and being curious. And it's them that says, huh, you know, and it, you know, it's like that light bulb moment, right? Right. Hopefully that's happening multiple times. Once you build that rapport up, that's happening multiple times. My goal is to get to know you. I want to know what your goals are for counseling. Why are you here? What's going on? Let's talk about this. And what do you think is going to be the best approach for you? Now, obviously, I, I, you know, I have an approach and I want to partner with that person who's coming to me and say, let's, you know, look, let, this is a safe place. Nobody's going to know about this unless I'm court ordered to, to, to tell somebody or you tell me I want you to tell somebody and then sign a document saying so. This is a safe place for you to come and talk about whatever you want to talk about. So we never have to worry about like employers knowing about what's going on in a session or anybody nope. else that like might ask or, you know, family or something along those lines. Not unless you tell me, not unless you tell me I want my employer to know, or now there are a couple of caveats to that. If you say you're going to threaten yourself, if you're harming, you think you're going to harm yourself or threatening somebody else, obviously that goes out the window, right? Safety sure. first. The person who's sitting you know, with me as well as anybody associated with them, if they say there's a threat, but you know, generally, you know, uh, um, that's a, a, and a court order. You know, those are the only three things that would I'd be required. However, even if I'm required, and it's rare that that happens, but even if, if I'm required to say something, I let somebody know. I don't just suddenly do it and say, "Hey, by the way, I did this," or they come to me and say, "Hey, you," I would say, "Listen, this is what you, you know, this is what we're talking about. I'm concerned. Let's talk about this. How do we make sure?" that you're going to be safe or somebody else is going to be safe. And, 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 and then this is what I'm obligated to do by law. Let's, let's do this together. Right. And let right. them maintain as much control. I want my, my clients to know it's a place to come talk. You can talk about whatever you want. Generally minus those, those few factors, what happens here stays here. We're kind of like Vegas. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, and, um, and it's, it's that, you know, hopefully it's that talking that, that gets you through it. You know, I, I, I'm not one to give, you know, homework. Sometimes I find things helpful, um, but I talk about it. You know, it's not like you're getting graded on or you can't come back to session if you don't do it. I talk about saying, hey, listen, as we're talking about this, I see a theme here and I'm wondering if, if doing this on your time would be helpful. I mean, we're busy. EMS people are busy. Um, I don't want to give them one more thing to do when they're not with me. However, on a rare occasion, I might say, Hey, I, you know, this might be helpful. What do you think? Um, Like a tool or a resource. Yeah. It's, it's something for them to, again, it's, you know, they, it's a resource, they complete it. And hopefully as they're doing it, they're like, I realized this and we could talk about it in more detail um, and really kind of get us down those roads to, to feeling better and getting out there and functioning in the way that's more healthy and the way they want to function. So Dan, we talked about a little bit about that that work life balance, um, where like you know their providers' work life is fantastic, but their their life at home is just god awful. Um, mm-hmm. Is that something you want to expand on a little bit, and then Troy, you can kind of take it from there. Well, the importance uh, of maintaining it. I mean, obviously, it's incredibly important to maintain it because 
you know, at the end of the day, you have to go home. And, you know, I see a lot of people I, I'll share in times of my life. There were times when I was, I got, I'm divorced. And when I was going through my divorce, the best part of my life was work. It was the area that I had the most control over. And then everything else was, was, was falling apart. And I think that, uh, you know, I think we, a lot of us get into those situations where um, we look at, um, you know, we, we forget the fact that we need to be able to go home and be able to deal with what we, we've done or what we've seen and be able to be productive at home at the same time. And it's not always easy because sometimes, uh, you know, if we have partners that they're not always on the same page or maybe they don't understand what we're going through. Um, but I think, you know, as we do better with our mental health, um, as we, you know, and I want to say this also, it's very important. You never know what's really going on in someone's home. So we look at people and you think that everything's great and you don't know, but you know, for the people that seem to be doing the best with the balance, it has a lot of communication, a lot of communication with their partner, a lot of communication with, uh, with their partner at home, a lot of communications with their partner at work. And I think it's really, really important that, as I've said earlier, that we're not just great providers of care, but we're also great people. And to be able to find that, that uh, again, the word balance, but to be able to find that so that we can do both. And so that when we have stress on one side or the other, we can kind of like a seesaw, we can keep that seesaw in the middle instead of, you know, when the, when the weight is being held down on the home side that we, you know, and it's affecting our work that we know how to, to fix that and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Again, there's that, that word balance, right? You know, when the cup is full, what happens to the rest of the liquid? It's, it's all over the place, right? That was um, a good visual. Good for you. That's a really good visual. So yeah, it's that it's that liquid that's all over the place is our life, right? It's like falling apart. You know, uh, it's a stressful work environment uh, for a variety of reasons. Some of that we can control, and some of it we can't. Um, and and going home to recharge, and or getting out and of work to recharge. And I'm not suggesting that work is not a place that people can recharge. Um, but it's about balancing, you know, we, we talk about, you know, we're, we're you know, EMS people are go-getters. So oh, I've got three jobs and I'm volunteering on the squad and I'm teaching and I'm, I'm going for my degree and, you know, all, and you're like, well, so, you know, that's good. But as you're doing this over a period of time, your body is probably going to start saying, Hey, I kind of need a break. You know, what are we, and, you know, if we ignore that, we, you know, we fizzle out. So, yeah, that mind-body um, connection is. You know, huge, if you're stressed huge. out, then your body's going to be stressed out. Yeah. I, you know, I mentioned, um, I'm very holistic when I do counseling, uh, you know, when I, when I talk to, or coaching, you know, whichever I'm doing, um, I, you know, when I talk to people, I, I want to know what medicine do you take? You know, how often do you go to the doctors? Any medical history? What do you eat? You know, what supplements are you on? I get that. And you know, sometimes people in a counseling, uh, like, why is he asking this? Cause I want to know, cause sometimes these can affect you, but um, additionally, when I look at counseling, I kind of, you know, through the, the health coaching training, um, the program I went through, they, they have this plate, right? It's a dinner plate and in the middle is, you know, the typical, okay, this is what you should be eating fruits, vegetables, and all that kind of stuff. Right. And on the outside there's, there's, you know, um, fats and, you know, um, uh, water. And then on the rim of the plate is other things like spirituality, career, physical activity, relationships. That's what, now what they call that is your primary food and the stuff on the plate that you actually eat is secondary food. So, I mean, the secondary food is important. Don't get me wrong, but it's the primary food 
that really constitutes most of our life. Now, career is a part of that, but it's only one part. It doesn't say career around the whole plate. Career is just one part of, of that plate. And then there's other things. So if we, if we don't balance it out and, and, you know, the light is always shining on career, then the other, you know, the other things may not be getting enough attention. And, and, and that could include food, right? It's about, okay, you know, you'd mentioned resiliency. What makes us resilient, it's different for everybody, what makes us resilient is what we do outside of work, right? It's about, I'm going to a park, I'm going hiking, I'm, I'm going skydiving, I'm, you know, I'm going to go for a run, I'm, I'm going to spend time with my family or, or my loved ones or, you know, the dog, you know, whatever it is. Um, it, those, are, those are the things that build us up to go back to work and face what we're facing. And when those things aren't um, paid attention to, we're not you know, the, the, as good uh, or as well prepared to get back into the, you know, the fight and, and fight the battles that we have to fight. So now we do this voluntarily. Uh, you know, I'm a choice theorist guy, so we all make choices, right? So when, when time is short, what do we do? And all right, well, I'm not gonna work out today. All right. Oh, I got to go. Honey, you didn't take your breakfast. All right. Yeah, fine. Give me that. Um, oh, is that a pound of bacon? I'll just take that with me and a bagel. And, you know, um, I've never easily carried a pound of bacon anywhere. Yeah, no, no. But and, and I'm not I'm not disparaging bacon. I love bacon. If the if the bacon diet was was real and healthy, I'd be on it. Um, but, um, you know, it's it's it's, you know, that's what we do. Right. We forego our self-care. Because. You know, because you think about it, right? Oh, the alarm went off. If I sleep 10 more minutes, I can hop a quick shower. I don't really need breakfast. I just, I'll get something at work, right? Um, and even just the, I mean, obviously that means that we're probably overtired, right? We need more sleep. But then even just the, now I got a rush, right? We're, we're already starting that. Okay, let's get the fight or flight engine going. Where we go? Okay, I got to rush into the shower. All right, I'm down. here we go. Here, obviously, my hair takes the longest to do, right? Um, uh, and then out the door, and out the door we go, and we're eating on the way to work, and, and we're, we're not giving our, our body time to digest, and, and we're, not, we're, not, we're not prepping ourselves. And, and that's the first thing that goes, and, and taking a step back and saying, how do we like you, Dan, and said, I'm going to paraphrase. I remember exactly how you phrased it. You know, how do we be our our best selves? Um, because our best selves at home or outside of work allows us to be our best selves at work. I'm going to add this. I am a leader in my organization, but I'm just going to say it. In the end of the day, work is work. You know, and the end of the day, you know, we're all replaceable at work, and you know, we have to be able to come home. And I think, you know, we need to focus on that, 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 uh, you know, balances so that at the end of the day, when, when our careers are over, that we have something good to come home to, you know, that, that we're wrapping up the end of our times with, with good times because we didn't throw it all away because we were so focused on, on work. And I think that's part of, you know, understanding that as part of being balanced too, that we need to do it. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, as the leader, it doesn't mean you don't do the best you can at work and things like that. But at the same time, I think that you, we need to um, realize that, um, you know, it's just a job and yeah. why, you know, and, and honestly, we're all replaceable. Doing something the best that you can also includes taking care of yourself. Yes. It's a great way to put it. Yeah. I like that. 
All right. So we're going to cover one more thing. We're coming up on a hard out. So um, I have always been open about my own mental health uh, on the show. Um, I have a whole bunch of psycho- uh, psychological diagnoses. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's kind of kicking around in this noggin of mine. Um, so when I looked for a therapist, there were specific criteria that like I was looking for someone who um, I wanted a CBT cal- uh, counselor. I wanted someone who understood like uh, some of the service that I was in um, and I needed, I needed a female. So those are the, are the, the, the criteria that I was looking for. So what else do you suggest a provider who may be looking to get into counseling would look for in their own therapist? Yeah. Um, you know, having, if they have an idea of what they, what, like what they want to work on, that's a good start. Right. You know, so you're, like you said, you wanted somebody and you, it's obviously you've done research. You wanted somebody with CBT. I mean, if they have an idea of what they want, as far as therapy goes, um, that's great. And then you look for somebody that way, but if not, you know, asking the questions, like, Hey, how do you approach this counseling, you know, counseling, um, have them interview, have them interview the counselor. You know, spend, I spend time on the phone. A lot of times it's almost like a session in and of itself. I don't mean it to be that way, but they have questions that I want to answer. And they might think that, well, I'm not the right fit and that's okay. They have to be comfortable going into it, right? Like, okay, I feel comfortable with this person uh, going to a first session after they get off the phone with them. So, you know, uh, if you're, if there's a lot of trauma involved, you know, trauma focused uh, therapy, you know, if they have experience in that, um, it, it would be helpful. Um, having, uh, um, the, a personality that approach, you know, that they feel like, Oh, this is a good personality, uh, asking a lot of questions, you know, about, okay, you know, what's specific to me that's, or what's important to me in this relationship, you're going to build a relationship. So, um, you know, ask, you know, you can certainly ask, you know, where did you go to school? How long have you been doing this? Those that's important for some people, for others, it's not. Um, but you know, that you want to be licensed, you know, certainly, um, uh, and you, you, uh, want a clear understanding of um, what it is, you know, what is it they do? You know, how often do you meet? How often, you know, um, what's the communication protocols? You know, if something happens in between sessions where I feel like I need uh, to speak to you, how do, you know, how do you handle that? Um, and, and um, you know, I, it's, it's kind of, you know, I, that question is, it's kind of a personal question you know, like if, if I was going to, you know, like when I went to my own therapy, um, uh, I wasn't a counselor then, but I, and I called and said, oh, how long have you been in practice? Where'd you go to school? What's your theory? Cause I knew enough to know that there were different theories. Right. And, um, uh, you know, do you work on whatever, you know, Hey, I, I've been exposed to a traumatic event. Do you work with people who are trauma? Do you work with people who are in EMS? You know, uh, you know, that's, that's, um, you know, they don't necessarily have to, to be a good counselor. Um, but, um, you know, I know for a lot of EMS people, it's helpful. Um, and I, you know, there's a few of us out there, so certainly. Um, so, you know, if, if that's what makes them, helps them feel comfortable, um, and great, um, then, you know, um, be clear about what you want to, Hey, here are my goals for this. Um, I want to address anxiety or depression or, or, um, I'm having family issues because a lot of times what people, what brings people into counseling is just a sign or a symptom of something different or bigger. And as we talk, we uncover that and that's where the work begins. Um, so, um, I, you know, it's, it's a tough question 
you know, again, the, the, the clear cut things are they have to be licensed. You know, they have to have a master's degree. That's the, that's the regulation in every state. You want to make sure that, you know, you're not somebody who says, you know, Hey, I'm a counselor. Um, but it's somebody who's got an associate's degree and, you know, went to a coaching program and I'm not putting coaches down, but that's not a counselor. That's a, a coach, you know, a life coach is different. They don't deal with mental health issues. They're helping you excel in life. Right. Um, whereas a mental health counselor, we're looking to deal with something that's been an issue for you that, you know, needs a different skill set. Um, other than that, you know, kind of getting an understanding of, okay, what am I looking for? What kind of person am I? And, and how do I match with somebody? Who, who do I tend to talk to? And, uh, most, you know, how, how do I work with my doc? Like my, if I go to my doctor and we have long conversations, what kind of guy is he or he is that person? You know, is that, you know, is he, you know, those are, those are the things that I, I you know, really, it's about looking at yourself and saying, what's going to work for me. And then if you have an idea of what your goals are, maybe what some of the challenges you're facing are getting an understanding of what kind of work they've done uh, in that area. Those, those are probably the important things. It was a bit wordy. I'm sorry, but you know, it's, it's okay. I would Dan, just, uh, think? just, uh, I think that, I think it's important to bring up, you know, if, if EMS is, is a large part of who you are and uh, that's part of what the issue, I think it's important to bring that up in the beginning, because unfortunately I've heard too many therapy, uh, too many s- stories of, of providers who go to a therapist and they start explaining what they've gone through. And then the therapists are horrified and doesn't know what to do with that. And so get it right out of the way. I think uh, everything Troy said is very true. You know, you look at therapy as a product that you're buying like anything else. You're paying for it. You need to be invested in it. You need to work at it. Um, but you are, you know, you, you are paying for it, whether your benefits are paying for it, whatever it is, it is being paid for. Ask for what you want. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. Do you do that? And, um, and they'll say, you know, they'll say yes or no, or they might be, you know, if you're open in the beginning, they might say, Hey, listen, I don't do this. This isn't what I do. I don't do this kind of trauma, but I know somebody that does. And I'd like to hook you up yeah. with that person. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing I would suggest also is as you're looking for a therapist, if you call um, a lot of your local, you know, every in New Jersey and almost everywhere throughout the country, there's, there are crisis centers. If you call them and say, Hey, look, I'm looking for a therapist and this is the kind of situations that I am. Most crisis centers know all of the therapists in the area and will be able to kind of help you guide you one way or the other. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that they're always right, but it at least gives you a focus because it's a world of providers that we don't normally deal with and we don't know who it is. But I yeah. think it's very, very important to be open, you know, open and honest with them right off the bat about what you're looking for. Um, I, and if it's not what they can do, they can refer you. Yeah. I, you know, for, for the therapist side of it, you know, they, they, um, you know, you want to make sure that they're okay with saying, you know what, I have, to, I say that a lot of times I, I say in my, you know, we're going over paperwork or our first session. I say, you know what, if, if this is something that falls outside of my uh, area of expertise, I don't have enough experience. I wouldn't be doing you any good um, continuing on as, as your therapist. Um, and I'd have to refer you out. I want people to know that up front. When I work with people and I tell them this, my, the first session um, we're already working on a plan and we're doing this together, working on a plan for you ending counseling, the last counseling session, because, you know, counseling is not meant to be forever. I mean, you can make it forever if that's what you want, that's what you need. But, you know, um, I, I want you to get what you need out of this and then go on with life. So, you know, you don't have to see my ugly mug, you know, once a week for an hour. Um, 
you know, for many people that I work with, and I, I work with a lot of first responders, um, you know, they're happy because they know, okay, he knows. He's, he's lived the life. Um, I've had some people I'm not so comfortable because, you know, maybe we know somebody that, you know, we work in the same circles. I mean, I, you know, I can't counsel, like I couldn't counsel any of you because we have a, a relationship, you know, other than, you know, in, than a professional relationship. Um, but, you know, um, you know, again, it kind of goes back to I, nothing, nothing is going to be said outside of this office, but if they don't feel comfortable with me for whatever reason, I, I don't want, they're not going to get what they need out of this. And I don't want them to continue counseling with me just because, Hey, I was a paramedic for a long time. And I know what you've, you know, I know the experience of the job. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I went into this knowing that, you know, EMS people tend not to want to talk outside of the EMS community. First police are the same way, you know, fire firefighters are the same way, but you know, I'm, you know, when I, I'm a, I'm a paramedic or, you know, I'm a paramedic. Uh, and if you want to work with me and that helps you feel comfortable, come on in. And they don't have to be coming in by the way, for just paramedic stuff, you know, or, or work related stuff. Oftentimes people come to me with other things and those other things, when they, when they, when they feel like they've done the work with that, now they feel like they're a better person and they're better at work because of it. So you know, it's not like, oh, you have to come to me and, and talk to me about trauma. No, you can talk to me about anything. All right. So I think that's where we're going to leave it for today. Um, this was a great conversation. I think there's a lot more of this conversation that we have to have. There's a lot of work that has to go around uh, breaking down the stigma around EMS providers and mental health. And I think that talking in this forum is going to be part of that work. So I want to thank uh, Dan and Troy for being with us today. Uh, if Troy sounds like the kind of person that you want to uh, have a conversation with, we'll link his practice down in our show notes. Uh, and if you are listening from Hackensack Meridian JFK EMS, he is part of our EAP program. Uh, so he is totally accessible. Um, and yeah, we will continue this in another episode. We have a lot of other topics to talk about. And I think this is super important. So thanks, guys, for, for joining us. Thank you, Anna. Yeah, thank, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I think this is, right. this is a really important subject for me. Great. Uh, I'm Anna Ryan from The Overrun, and thanks so much for listening.